Good morning, good morning. Everybody sing with me. No, I'm just kidding. Really. <laughs> hey guys, good morning. So glad that you are here. Whoa, what about the band? Wasn't that awesome? You know, for a minute there, hold on, wait, before you clap. For a minute there, I almost thought they were really playing. I mean, they had me fooled. But there's a CD player in the back, so I know, no, you know, that was... So I'm married to a musician. My wife is the one who plays the keyboard here. Here's how I am quite certain that I don't know how to fully appreciate what just happened on this stage in front of me. I counted it out as I was sitting down there. There are seven guitars on this stage, all of which I've been told not to touch. There are seven guitars on this stage, and there were four guitarists. I don't know why you need multiple guitars, but I know if you got a jam like that, you may have to bring a backup. So anyway, they did such a good job. Guys, I don't know if you can believe it or not, but we are nine days away from Christmas. Isn't that nuts? Anybody who's still got to do Christmas shopping, could I just see your hand right now if you've still got to do Christmas shopping? Oh my goodness. All right, so you're going to be stressed out here. Uh, <clears throat> well, well, last week, uh, well, before I get, let me say this. So Christmas season is upon us. It's almost here. It's almost that time. Guys, I want one thing for Christmas this year. I want one thing. Two tickets to the Panthers game. No, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Nobody wants to see those losers. No. <clears throat> no, here's what I want. Next weekend is our Christmas services, and I have uh, said this a couple times, but let me just reiterate it because I have gotten a couple questions. Um, those services will be different. So we have our regular Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. right here, <laughs> same place, same time. And then Monday, Christmas Eve, we have a 3 p.m. candlelight service, different music, different message, all that jazz. So we just want to get that out there to kind of clear that up. People are asking me questions. Here's what I'm hope, here's what I want. Here's what I want for Christmas this year. I'm, it is my hope that you will invite your unsaved, unchurched people in your life, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, whoever it might be, that you would invite those people to church this year. Let me just go ahead and put up the invitation packet. So a couple weeks ago, we gave you this packet. Right here, this is what the prayer card looks like. Now, if you didn't get a chance to get these packets, they are on the usher tables as you leave. So by each door at the exits, these uh, packets are there. And it has all this stuff in one packet. The first thing is the prayer card. It, I want you to go and write down the names of five people you want to see here. And then every day between now and Christmas, so for the next eight days, because on Christmas Eve is when we're going to meet, for the next eight days, we're just going to pray for those people. Pray that God would lovingly woo them. Pray that they would be receptive to the invitation. Pray that they would lower their defenses and come. Pray that God would go ahead and be working on their heart and that, that they would receive a blessing that Christmas Eve service. So we're going to be praying for those people we're going to invite. And then on this side, you see the invitation card. So it's like a, just a cube. You're able to put it in somebody's hand. Tell them, hey, I want you to come. I'll sit with you. It would be great. You should come. And here's the cool thing. So if they say, well, I work on Christmas Eve. Hey, Sunday morning. 
you can come Sunday. So anyway, so you got them there. All right. But there's the invitation card. It has the Mount Olive time and it has the website so that, you know, a lot of times if you're considering going somewhere new, what do you do? You check it out online first. And so it's got frequently asked questions. I think it's just going to be very helpful. So there's all of that. And then last but not least, right here in the middle, we have some Just Because cards. And so it is our hope that during this season of giving, you're going to be doing random acts of kindness. Just give people a little Just Because card. And uh, I really hope that over, over the next eight days and during this Christmas season, that Mount Olive and surrounding communities, Calypso, Dudley, Face, that all of these places are flooded with just because cards, with random acts of kindness, that we're getting that Christmas spirit out there and generating interest in the church. Just this past week, I heard two stories. There was a lady who went to a restaurant and, uh, and bought someone else's meal. Then there was another guy who was at the gas pump and noticed, hey man, there's this single mom. Let me. So he just pays for her gas. Guys, stuff like that, perfect times, perfect examples where you can just give somebody a just because card, they'll be blown away, you drive away, and just let God do what he will. Some of them may have a church home, but it's just such a, a nice blessing around this time of year. So anyway, there's that. Why is this such a big deal? Why do I bring it up? Because Christmas is a time when people are thinking and they're receptive about going to church anyway. The latest statistics are out from LifeWay Research, and here's what they found. And they broke it down by region, and, and so I'll just give you the southeast region. I love it when they use the whole nation, because there's a lot of people in the northeast and northwest parts of our country that don't go to church, and so it kind of drives it. But, but here's an accurate picture of where we are. In the southeast, uh, all the people that they polled, six out of ten said they planned to go to church at Christmas this year. Six out of ten. That's pretty good. That's a good number. Now, they said in those numbers, there were atheists, there were agnostics, there were other people. So it was, they said, why are you planning on going to church? You don't even believe. They said, well, Christmas is just a time when you think about going to church. And so people are inclined to go. So there was the six out of ten that said they're going. And then there's four out of ten that are left that are not planning on going. Here's the follow-up question they asked them. They said, if someone you know were to invite you, would you go? 57% said, yeah, I would go if someone I know invited me. Guys, that's why we go after it this time of year. Now, we've put banners up. Will people come if they see a banner in Mount Olive? Maybe. Will people come if I invite them? Maybe. But 57% of people will come if you invite them, the people you know that are in your sphere of influence. And so, uh, so we want to go after it this year. We want to go after it. it. Makes me think of Matthew chapter 9. When, when we talk about that and invitation, it, it makes me think of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is going through towns and villages and he's teaching. And the Bible says not only is he teaching, but he's healing. And word about him is spreading. And then this happens, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees them. They're not connected to him. He has this heart of compassion on him. And so then it says, Then he said to his disciples, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Any farmer worth his salt will tell you, and there are a lot of farmers in this area, they will tell you that there is a window in which you can harvest crops. For some crops, it's a longer window. For some crops, it's a shorter window. But these farmers, sometimes you see them out in the field late at night, and it's because they know a rain's coming in, or they know a frost is coming, or whatever the case might be, the window for that crop, the window for that harvest is shrinking. Church, we have a window right now. None of us are promised tomorrow. That person that you know that you're thinking about inviting, they are not promised tomorrow. As a matter of fact, Scripture promises us that we are not promised tomorrow. And we could be caught up. We could be raptured at any time. So here's what I'm saying. We have an opportunity right now. The harvest is in the field. People are thinking about going to church at Christmas Let's go after it. Let's go after it. So there's going to be these invitation packets are going to be at the door as you get ready to leave today. I just want to encourage you, just grab uh, one or two. Maybe you want a couple extra just because cards, so grab some of those packets. But let me say this. If you, it, it, this is not about a guilt trip. If, if in any way you feel like, oh gosh, I mean, he's saying we got to invite. I guess I should. I, if you feel guilty, Hear me, don't do it. This is not about a guilt trip. Here's my heart in sharing this information and encouraging you to invite. I know what Christmas is like. I know that at Christmas time, you've got Christmas parties, and a a lot of you evidently have Christmas gifts still to buy, and then you're going to have to wrap them. And so there's just a lot going on in addition to, oh, by the way, You know, you still have to work your job and clean your house and do normal stuff. And so it's a busy time of year. And we tend to put blinders on and we see our stuff and we get consumed with our stuff. And so this is just me saying today, hey, let's pull the blinders back. Let's look around, kind of head on swivel and see, okay, God, who is it in my life that if I could invite them, it might change their life and and it might just change their eternity. So anyway, all right, enough with that. I want to encourage you to invite next Sunday, 10 a.m., next Monday, 3 p.m. would love for you to come uh, to both of those services. All right, today we are in a sermon series called The Best Christmas Gifts. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus. He is the best Christmas gift Bar none, I don't care what kind of gift you've, if you've been given a house or a car, all that stuff's cool, that's great. Send me the name of the person who gave that to you. I would like to talk to them. But Jesus is the best gift. Then last week we talked about the gift of peace. And uh, I just heard a lot of comments about that message. A lot of people reached out, reached out to me for my notes. I want to encourage you, if you... Uh, won't ever want my sermon notes. It's Andrew Price at bridgechurch.cc. Happy to send those to you. Today, I want to talk about the gift of joy. The gift of joy. Luke chapter 2 verse 10 tells us, And the angels said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. 
The angels go to the shepherds. We've read this verse previously in our series. The angels go to the shepherds who are tending the flocks in the fields nearby where Jesus was born that night in Bethlehem. And they say, hey, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all mankind. Great joy is here because Jesus is here. Now, Christmas is a time where we think about joy. We talk about joy. Knowing I was going to preach this message, I have been amazed this week. I've just had my joy antennas up. It is amazing how often you hear that word. You drive by people's houses and they have those letters, J-O-Y, in the front yard. They have decorated with them. It's on wrapping paper. It's in trees. It's in decorations. It is everywhere. We sing Joy to the world. I mean, we sing about it. We decorate with it. Joy is everywhere. It's everywhere this time of year. And it ought to be. I looked in the birth narratives in Scripture. In the Gospels, there's four Gospels. Uh, There are the birth narrative of Jesus that are recorded in there. Eight different times in the birth narrative, the word joy is used. Jesus coming to earth that first Christmas was a reason to celebrate. Joy had come to earth. Christianity is a joyous faith. We get to be people full of joy. Guys, hear me. As Christians, there ought not be another group on this planet that is more joyful than us. Yet so often, so often we are lacking joy. Anybody, well, I won't get you to raise your hands. We know who you are. So oftentimes we've lost our joy. Now hear me, church. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, God tells us in his word that we are his representatives here on this earth. We are his ambassadors. That means we reflect Jesus and earth and and the kingdom of God, we reflect all of that to others whenever we're out and about, whenever we do. The things we post on social media, all of that is a reflection. And yet, how often are we downcast? How often are we mean and nasty and ragging, fragging, snagging? (laughs) You ever seen Home Alone? That's the the Home Alone cuss words, ragging, fragging. Anyway, When you get ready to buy a house, what do you do? You have a bunch of inspections done. A home inspection, a pest inspection. You pay thousands of dollars. Trust me, I bought one two years ago. You pay thousands of dollars. Why? Because before you go all in, before you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a house... You want to know everything there is to know about that house. You don't want to buy the house and then be surprised. For unbelievers, whenever they are considering coming to church, when they're considering becoming a Christian, you know what they do? They look at us. They they look at us. Well, I know Andrew, he says he loves Jesus and he posts about going to church and how does his life go? Let's, let's see how his life is going. And if I'm constantly upset and depressed, they associate that with Christianity. They say, man, it, 
it just ends up being really horrible advertising. I, I heard this. It's a quote from Oliver Wendell Holmes. He's a, he was a Supreme Court justice, one of the greatest minds of his time, one of the greatest jurists. Oliver Wendell Holmes said this, I would have entered the ministry if clergymen I know didn't look and act like undertakers. Let, let, let me just be honest with you guys this morning. So I was saved at a young age, and one of the things that I said to God whenever I got saved is, and I don't know a better way to say this, I knew some weird Christians. I have, do you guys know any weird Christians? And so they're out there. I see you. You don't want to raise your hand. It's okay. We know them. When I got saved, I said, God, I, I, I want to be all about this. I want to be, but I don't want to be a weird Christian. You remember the saying that was going around? It's been several years ago. They're so heavenly minded, they're no. Okay, so y'all don't know that saying. Oh, well, let me get your pens ready. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. They're so weird, God can't use them to bring people to Jesus. And so I thought, now listen, I'm not bashing them. There are people who are deep in their faith, and it's very attractional. That's great. But I'm talking about specifically those people who repulse people by the way they represent Jesus in the community. And so I said, man, I never want to be that way. When God called me into ministry, one of the things I always wanted to do is mix humor and fun into my sermons and into the church because the worst thing that can happen is to be a Christian. Well, one of the worst things that can happen is to be a Christian and for there not to be any joy present in your life. So when we started this location, I was a kids pastor. And uh, in kids ministry, it was great. If you were mischievous and fun and a jokester, all that was good. You did good with the kids. And so I came here and I felt like, oh gosh, I'm the lead pastor now. I've got <clears throat> to act a little more proper. I need to be a little different. And so about three or four weeks in, that kind of wore off. And one Sunday morning, Kyler Daly invited one of his friends, Bryce, who's here today, invited Bryce to church. And before church, we just got to talking about sports. And, and, and Bryce was telling me how he was doing so good on his baseball team and how he's one of the fastest guys on the team. And something was said, and we're all competitive, and something was said about how he was faster than me. So I couldn't let that one go. So before church that morning, we went outside and raced. I won't tell you who won, but I'll just say, I'll just say it was a good day. Here's what I'm saying, guys. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I don't even want to go into ministry because everybody I know acts like undertakers. Robert Louis Stevenson, he's a, a Scottish author. He wrote in his journal, I went to church today and I'm not depressed. And he was surprised by that. Guys, it ought not be. A Christian without joy is a contradiction of terms. A Christian without joy is a contradiction of terms. It just is. But, but let me also bring balance to this teaching. Because I know what happens. 
We get too far one way or the other, and really there's a balance to be had here. Am I saying that as a believer it's going to be all good times? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Here's what I am saying. There may be periods of joylessness in your life. As a believer, you may go through periods of joylessness. I think about even some of the most mature, dedicated believers in Scripture. They went through periods of joylessness. Look, look at them, Job. When he was going through his trials in the Old Testament, he called out to God and he wished he had never been born. I think about King David. He prayed that God would take him away from reality. And then probably the best example is Elijah. So Elijah goes to Mount Carmel. He challenges 450 prophets of Baal. And so they pray and call out to God and nothing happens. He prays, calls down fire from heaven, completely wipes out all of those prophets has this amazing victory. He sees God do this incredible miracle. And then what happens next? Scripture tells us that he fled to the desert and asked God to kill him. Guys, what I'm trying to tell you is even the most mature believers go through periods of joylessness. So what do we do? During this holiday season, when it seems like everyone else is so full of joy, what do we do? If we're just in a joyless season, what do we do to get out of that and to regain joy? I want to share with you today, with the time we have left, two sources of joy. Two sources of joy. There are way more. I just want to give you two because I think we can remember those. And With everything I preach, I want, to, I want it to be something that you can take with you into your week. And so, two sources of joy. Uh, let me also give you this disclaimer. When I tell you these two sources of joy... You're going to hear them and you're going to go, oh, that's, that's simple. I already knew that. Yet for so many of us, we go through these periods of joylessness and we get stuck there. And so it's not all about knowing Greek and Hebrew. Sometimes it's just about doing the simple things that you know to do. I, I think about whenever your favorite team starts losing, what does the coach always say? we got to get back to the basics. We're not tackling right. We're not shooting layups well. we got to get back to the basics. So here it is. Number one, first source of joy, abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. The angels came to the shepherds and says, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Joy is here. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, he taught this to his disciples. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, read that next part with me, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, this is a, a promise that Jesus is making to his disciples, but it's also for us as believers that Jesus' joy, think about that now, Jesus' joy can be in you. Jesus said, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Full to the top, full to overflow, full to spilling out. Sign me up for that. I want Jesus' joy in me and I want that joy to be full. How do you do that? 
What's right there in the verse? He says, these things I've spoken to you so that. So what things had Jesus just spoken? It's John chapter 15. It's the teaching on the vine and the branches. I want to read you three verses. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But then Jesus contrasts that. He says, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If you abide in me, you can bear much fruit. If you don't abide in me, if you cut yourself off, if you remove yourself from me, you won't be able to do anything. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. There's our word again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Look at that. Three verses, four abides. Do you think Jesus is trying to make a point? Now, that word abide, that means to live with something or someone. Isn't that such a powerful word picture? I mean, just, uh, okay, so it says right here, uh, verse 9, abide in my love. Imagine God's love as a house you can go into. You can go in and live in God's house of love. Isn't, isn't that amazing? Uh, abide means to be united by living faith, to stay connected with Jesus through a relationship. But it sounds easy. Okay, so abide. But how do I do that? How do I abide in Jesus? All right, I want to do it. Andrew, you've convinced me. How? Well, think about any relationship here on earth. How do you keep a relationship going? You talk to the person. You're going to talk to them. That's prayer. Then you're going to not just do all the talking. You're going to, occasionally, you're going to listen. That's reading God's Word. Then, in every healthy relationship, there's some sacrifice. You don't always get to do what you want to do. Sometimes there's got to be some sacrifice. That's fasting. Guys, every single one of those could have been a source of joy on their own, but they all kind of fit under that umbrella. They all fit under that umbrella of abiding in Jesus. And when we do that, when we abide in Jesus, when we, when we live with Him and in His presence, when we talk to Him and when we listen to Him and when we sacrifice some, when we do those things, the joy of Jesus can be in us and our joy can be full. So that's abiding in Jesus. Let me show you number two. Serving others. Serving others. Sometimes the best thing we can do when we're not happy, is just get the focus off of us. It's get the focus off of us and look to a different direction. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2.17. He said, My life is being poured out as a part of the sacrifice and service I offer to God for your faith. Paul, Paul's saying, listen guys, I'm serving you. That's, I, I'm serving God's kingdom, but... It's for your faith. 
So when, when Paul would come to a town, one of the things he would do is he would preach, but he would also make tents. He was a tent maker. You may have heard that he had a tent-making ministry. And so the making tents allowed him to be able to pay all his bills, buy food, buy the things he needed. And then that way he didn't have to take any money from the church. That way when people came to him and said, oh, you're just in this for the money, he could say, man, I'm not getting any money. It would be right if I asked for money. I certainly could, but that's not why I'm doing this. And so Paul was a tent maker. He sacrificed. He served. This very verse says, my life is being poured out. In other words, I may give my very life for this gospel and for each and every one of you, but I'm serving others. And then, pick this part up with me. Everybody read. Yet, I am filled with joy. I'm going to start over again so everybody can do it. Yet, I am filled with joy, and I share that joy with all of you. Paul says, I am pouring out my life. I am serving all the time, yet I'm filled with joy. My joy doesn't come through people doing stuff for me. My joy comes when I can give to others. Rick Warren said it this way, the most helpful people are the happiest people. Isn't that good? I hope you'll write that down. And if you forget to quote Rick, that's okay. The most helpful people are the happiest people. It's just true when we get the focus off of ourselves and begin to do for others. And so a couple chapters later in Philippians 4, Paul says this. Always be joyful in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone who sees that you are unselfish and considerate. Let everyone see that you are unselfish and considerate in all you do. I think it's so interesting here. So Jesus ties these two things in, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul ties these two things together. You want joy? Be unselfish and considerate. Well, the opposite of that is true as well. You want joy to be blocked in your life? Be selfish and unconsiderate. So you want joy, be unselfish and considerate. You block joy when you're selfish and unconsiderate. Hear me, guys. If you're lacking joy right now, one of the best things you can do is find a place to volunteer. Find a place where you pour out your effort and your energy for the benefit of others, and you don't make one red cent on it. When we begin to be unselfish and considerate, that's the kind of life that God can bless. That's the kind of uh, personality that produces joy. Now, it's not just, I'm not saying that for the benefit of church. I know that may sound manipulative. We certainly have places you can volunteer here. And we would love to talk to you about that. But don't volunteer here. Go somewhere. Go volunteer in the food pantry in town. Go volunteer in the public schools. They have need of mentors. But one of the best things we can do is do something for someone else. And, and I'll just say this. If you don't have a place in your life where you are pouring your life out for the benefit of someone else, on a pretty consistent basis, 
I'll just say every week, if you don't have somewhere that you're serving, you're living a pretty selfish life. We were made to pour our lives out for the benefit of others. God just wired us that way. That's why the happiest people are the most helpful people. Let me show you how this bore itself out in my life. So I told you I was a kid's pastor. And um, one of the things that happened is what always happens in kids' ministry. You find yourself a little short on volunteers from time to time. And so I was in service one day, and the pastor preached. It was a guest pastor. He preached on sowing and reaping. And it wasn't a money series, and sowing and reaping, it works in finances, but it's not just financial. And so it hit me that day. I'll say God told me, you need volunteers. You need to be pouring out volunteerism. Where are you volunteering? One of the hazards of ministry is you do a lot of good stuff, a lot of churchy stuff, but it's stuff you get paid to do. So anyway, so God kind of spanked me on that a little bit. I need to be volunteering for someone else's benefit. And so I signed up with our outreach ministry. And we had this training to be able to go into the prisons. You've got to get a certification. And, uh, and so we had the certification training on a Wednesday night, and I had other responsibilities on campus at that time. I had classrooms I was supposed to be looking after. So I was in and out of the training, mostly out. And I got credit for it. So that was cool. But then we got there to the prison that day, and we've set up, and we're prepared, and we're getting ready to minister to these inmates. And... It's like it's taken them a long time. And so one of the people in our group, there's about seven of us standing around. There was another group off to the side. One of the groups, uh, one of the people in my group said, man, I wonder what time it is and why the inmates aren't here yet. And so I just pulled my cell phone out of my pocket and I look, I was like, it's 12, 13. They are running late. Stick my cell phone back in my pocket. Have you ever been around people where they all knew something and you didn't know it? There was this collective, like, gasp in our group. And one sweet little old lady, she came up to me. She said, Pastor Andrew, the number one rule for coming into the prison is we were not supposed to bring our cell phones. Were you not at the training? Oops. (laughs) So... I have seen enough movies to know that contraband sometimes gets smuggled into prison. But for the first time maybe in history, I smuggled contraband out of prison. So that's what I was doing that day. A group got around. Anyway, I did not get arrested. Here's why I bring the whole prison thing up. Guys, one of the greatest, some of the greatest memories of my life are when I have poured my life out for other people, when I volunteered that day, hearing those prisoners' stories, hearing what God was doing in their life, hearing, uh, being able to talk to them about Jesus, was absolutely incredible. I'll say there are several other places in my life where, where I've been able to volunteer, and I thought, I went in with this idea of, I'm going to be a blessing. Those prisoners need me, and so I'm going to go bless them. And you know what always happens? When we serve, we think we're going to bless somebody else, and God blesses us. 
And that's exactly what happened. You know what my Christmas wish is for all of you? I'm saying this in closing. My Christmas wish is that your lives would be marked by joy. That when people look at you and they don't even know Jesus, but they know you, and maybe they're not able to put their finger on it and say, well, you just have this consistent joy. There's just this steadiness about you. Because see, happy has to do with the happenings. And if things are happening good in your life, you're happy. But joy, it's present. Even in the trials, even in the storms, even in those dark days. My wish for all of us is that our lives would be marked by joy. That as believers, we would would exude joy. Think about this. How different would your life be if you were full of joy? How different would your family be? It's possible. We can be full of joy. We have to go to the source. Abide in Jesus. Serve others. Then Jesus puts his joy in us and he makes our joy full. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, like so many of the words that you give us and the things you tell us to do, this is so much easier said than done. God, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that they would draw on the sources of joy and that they could be full of joy this Christmas season. But not just until next Tuesday passes and we get all our presents, but that their lives would be marked by joy. Jesus, you came to give joy. And so we look to you as the source of our joy. Help us, God. Give us the wisdom. Give us the the courage to be able to abide in Jesus, to be able to serve others, even when it's inconvenient, so that we can have that joy that you offer richly in our lives. I pray all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. And everybody said,